We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events, we're always writing articles, but when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner, promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here, and welcome back to the old man. He is in the building with a little bit more gray hair than when he left last time. It is Andreas Hell back in the building. Yo, that was ridiculous. <laughs> this is this is what happens when you leave for a week. You get the, the grand intro. Dog, it's been two weeks and we didn't have a show the week before that. Like I to be honest, I can't recall what the last thing we was talking about because the last two weeks have been absolutely insane. For me, at least. Yeah, you haven't discussed anything recently. You've been uh, into the 
what number one job out of 18 if we had to rank them yeah no by far this is like this is it like i've cut off since i've joined sporting news i'm not really doing anything else i am still doing like billboard and pitchfork um and like that kind of stuff and i still do the betting show from week every week and something else i'm still doing so you still got six jobs Something like that. Yeah, but this <laughs> this takes precedence. Like, sporting news, yeah, like, this is taking precedence over everything. It's, it's not ruining my life, but it's running my life right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, it seems very demanding. It's good, though. Uh, put out quality content. I've enjoyed what you've been putting out. You've actually been writing a lot, it seems yeah, like. until I get a, a more staff, which we're working on. Um, yeah, I've been pretty busy with the writing aspect of it, you know, doing... Doing the on-camera interviews, I'm sure by now a lot of people saw my interview with Anthony Joshua and how that shit went. Um, but yeah, keeping me busy, bro. Yeah, man, don't talk about his mama. Yo, that, listen. <laughs> I know we haven't got to boxing yet, and it's been a few weeks. And, like, the whole event for The Zone was interesting because I'll just do a brief rundown. So the strategy was, like, I flew out to New York. We had a few meetings. We were like, all right. It's the game plan for the zone. We're going to interview Anthony Joshua. You get a one-on-one interview, sit down, interview one. Initially, I was never supposed to be on camera. And then the day of, they're like, you're going to be on camera, right? And I'm like, sure. Like, I didn't think I was going to do that. So I'm doing interviews. I interviewed, like, Jesse Vargas. And then the whole situation happened with Jarrell Miller yelling at Anthony Joshua. First of all, Jarrell showed up crazy late. We didn't think he was going to show up. The word was that we got was that Deontay Wilder was on his way. And everybody like was like, oh, shit, it's about to, some shit's about to go down. Obviously, Deontay didn't show up. He went on Twitter and was like, I'm not even in New York. But then Jarrell Miller shows up dumb late, starts yelling at Anthony Joshua, and then we interviewed him. And Jarrell's like, I, you know, Anthony Joshua's mom looks good, and I'm taking her on a date. And I'm like, damn, this guy's going all the way in for a fight because he clearly doesn't deserve it. So in my interview, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down with Anthony Josh. I'm going to talk about this Povetkin fight. I don't know how he's going to be. I've never interviewed Anthony Josh before. Hardly anybody really has in the States face-to-face. And I brought it up. And that awkward pause, like, he was legit pissed. And, and behind the camera, the crew was like, keep going. Like, keep, <laughs> like, keep going. He's pissed. And he was massaging the shit out of the couch. And I can tell you... <laughs> Like, yo, people were like, yo, he must really like that couch. Yo, he was legit. Like, when we were done, he was legit mad. He was like, no offense to you, brother, but why do you Americans talk so fucking much? And I was like, damn. <laughs> I was like, he really got under his skin. Yeah, then ESPN left in the interview, just completely cut my name out of the shit. It was like, Anthony Joshua tossed a journalist. Bitch, I ain't no journalist. I'm a senior editor of Combat Sports. I was kind of pissed about that. But yeah. <laughs> Put some respect on your name. Yeah, man. I'm not, I'm not no average Joe. Come on, man. <laughs> Flex a little bit, damn. Damn, listen, man. I, I was just happy to be recognized as a journalist. Listen, if if anyone wants to quote me on anything, I will take journalists. It's perfectly fine. You don't got to give me an uppity title. Uh, but I understand where it comes from. One time, someone referred to me as a blogger. Almost had to just catch him with the two piece and a biscuit. Exactly. Like you don't call me out my name. How dare you? Um, talking about two piece and a biscuit, though. One thing. You didn't miss last week because it just happened a couple days ago. News came out that Tristan Thompson ran up on Draymond, which is surprising because we all thought Tristan Thompson was a little soft. You know, Tristan Kardashian, all this. It looks like Draymond wasn't ready. There was no no time to talk. It was strictly on site, cash his head in front of LeBron, in front of KD. 
Dre, before we talk about Draymond and Tristan and, and seeing how their beef will go, have you ever just walked up and just two-piece somebody on site? No. No. Oh, see, this what happened. See, I knew it. I knew it. For, for a second, I was like, Dre says he fought. I feel like he was just shooting a fair one. Like, old school status, put your dukes up. No, yeah, no, I've never, I've never, well, not really. All right, so there was a situation where I was in ninth grade, 10th grade. I think the last fight I've been in was like 10th grade. I haven't been in a fight in a long time. Um, and I had beef with a friend. He used to be a friend of mine. And uh, I have no idea why it escalated in the manner that it did. But uh, it came to, like, and when I see him, I'm fading him on sight, right? And I'm like, all right, cool. So instead of, I was like, yo, instead of you fading me on sight, why don't you come to my house and do that shit? And he came to my house. And uh, my, the son of the woman that my father was dating, this is a very long story, and I'm not going to get into how that happened. But he happened to be there, and he happened to be in the middle of this shit. And he was like, if dude shows up, and he's like 12, all right? He's like the age of my nephew, which makes this even more crazy. He's like, if dude shows up, we should jump him. And I'm like, if he comes to my house acting crazy, we're just going to fight. And it is what it is. And we're going to take it outside and fight. We're going to shoot a fair one. And he was like, I don't think he's going to do that. Again, he's 12, talking like this. <laughs> um, and he's like, I don't think he's going to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit in the kitchen. And you know, I live in an apartment at the time. I'm going to sit in the kitchen and something pop off then, you know, I'm jumping in. So I'm like, all right. So dude shows up. I open the door. And I'm like, we taking this outside? And he's like, nah, I just want to talk. Comes in the crib. I thought everything was going to be cool. So he, he gets, you know, he balls his fist up. So I choke him. That's the only thing I could do. <laughs> I, I grabbed him and I choked him. You were MMA like, before MMA. Yeah, it was like, I'm not, you're not doing this in my house. Like, I told you, we can shoot a fair one outside, you're not doing this in my house. So, I'm just going to call him my stepbrother. So, my brother hears the commotion, comes running out of the kitchen with a frying pan, and cracks him over the head with a frying pan. Barney Rubble? Straight, like, dog. It was a straight, you ever seen the cartoons when somebody gets hit over the head with a frying pan and that lump immediately starts forming <laughs> yeah. and, and goes straight to the sky? It was like that. And I was like, and it happened so fast because I'm like, I'm trying to put dude to sleep, right? Like, I'm, I'm trying to put him to sleep and just push him out of my house. He's with a frying pan. Dude's head just starts, like, just bulging. And I'm like, yo. And I'm like, now nah, I feel bad. I'm like, we almost killed this motherfucker. So we put him outside. And then he still wanted to fight. So we got in a fight, and that was it. And, uh, you know, he caught me with one. I caught him with a couple. His head swelled up mad big. And he was like, I'm out. <laughs> and he left. And I was like, good. Wait, that was it. So it was you, your stepbrother, and him, and nobody else around to witness this fight? Nah, and it was like right in front of the office of my complex, too. So it was like nothing, nobody saw, this all happened. You know, fights feel like an eternity. It must have been like 90 seconds. I don't know how long it was. And I lived upstairs, too. So after he got cracked with a firing pan, I pushed him. I was like, yo, get out. And he was like, no, no, no. And he was like, you know, disoriented. And I'm like, come on, man. I'm not, look, look, you already got hit with a frying pan. So he swings at me. So I caught him with a couple, swing by, swung back at me, scrapped a little bit. And I'm just like, this is like, it, it, one, at a certain point, I'm like, yo, this is dumb. You know, like you're, you're about to die. You need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and that was it. And he left. And then, and then my uncle who's from New York comes home, sees the house is wrecked. He's like, what happened? 
And I'm like, dude, you know, dude, he came over. He's at the Boys and Girls Club. And he was like, man, he fought in my, my mother's house? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes and he finds him. Dude's head swelling at the Boys and Girls Club and he slaps him. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, you didn't have to do that. Like, he was, he's already been done in twice. And he just slapped him, slapped the shit out of him. And was like, don't ever disrespect my mother's house again. Go to the hospital. So, yeah. I feel bad for the guy after that story. Like, this kid came over thinking he was all big and bad. Came over dolo to your crib. Gets choked. Gets hit with a frying pan. And gets slapped. All in the same yeah. day. And then my grandmother came home. And she was pissed because she was like, who the fuck messed up my cookware? That's all she could think about. Like, who messed up my cookware? And I'm like. That, I mean, that's logical. That sounds like a grandma move. <laughs> like, like, yo, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know this pot was not under here when I left. It's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I guess you didn't sneak them, but someone sure did. Yeah. Caught them with a frying pan. Yeah, nah, man. I haven't been in a fight in forever. But I mean, I've seen people get slept, though. Uh, my cousin Brandon, who is as ugly as the day is long, but shout out to him. He just got out of prison today. Uh, <laughs> random factoid. Uh, yeah, man. I, listen, you can't treat your family. So, my cousin Brandon got out of prison today. He was notorious for being, he was left back a year. So, he was in the same grade as us, but he's born late and he was left back a year. So, really, he's two years older than us. Jesus. And, like, when I first moved to Vegas, I was running around with him. I was always at his crib and all this stuff. Uh, my aunt Kim or whatever. So, I used to chill over there. And he couldn't fight. To this day, I don't know if he can fight. He's been in prison, in our prison a few times. So maybe he can fight a little bit. But he has, like, just huge hands, right? So he had, like, Francis Ngannou-style knuckles. So, but he was, like, big and slow. Uh, and not, like, fat and slow. Like, he looked muscular. He should have been able to do something. But he was just slow. He had no reflex, no fast twitch. So... Me and my cousin KP, we used to slap box all the time and just tear him up. Because he had no reflexes. He couldn't duck. He had no defense, no nothing. So he popped off at the mouth all the time, all this stuff. So we'd always, the three of us would have to, in some way, beat someone up constantly. Just because he'd act stupid. And we knew he couldn't fight. So as soon as someone swung at him, we knew we had to jump in. So it was more jumping in off sight. Because it was like, damn, he going he gonna to walk up. And we always knew he was going to throw the first punch because he that's all he had. He was sleeping you with the first one or he was getting torn up. So we're like, damn, we let him punch the person the first time on site. If they didn't hit the ground and we're out, we knew we had to jump in because if not, he was going to get tagged and his whole reputation would have went down. So my on site fights were because it was all him on site because that was his only move. He had the, the Conor McGregor style left hand with nothing to follow. That sucks. Yeah, man. Big dude. Out of prison, though. He's back home. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't get baby mama number five on this trip. Still my dude. Still my fam. Shout out to him. Uh, back to Tristan Thompson. Draymond Green. What Tristan did, is that a punk move? Walking up and snuffing Draymond for something that happened on the court. Nah, see, here's the problem. Here's the thing, right? Like, I would say yes, if it was any other situation, but Draymond talked too goddamn much. And it's one of those situations where, like, you keep talking, you won't get caught. Now, it's your own fault. At, at a certain point, it just becomes your own fault. If you get caught, it's your own fault. Because if you're writing checks with your mouth that your ass can't cash, and you get caught by a Canadian, that's your fault. 
And I'm sorry, I put Canadian in there because, you know, we think of Northern Canadian, like our fellows up north, and we think about them being all nice and shit. But if he ran up on you and two-piece you, you must have really pissed him off. That's your fault. You got to eat that. But we're grown-ass men. When you're a grown-ass man, you don't expect to get punched anymore. Like, isn't there a certain cutoff age where people just stop fighting? Like, either someone's going to shoot me. Or we just we just gonna call it beef and just keep moving. Like no one punches people in the face anymore. No one fought. You just said your last fight was in the tenth grade. I'm sure, with the way you talk, you've pissed people off since then. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, look, I've had look video games. I'm probably I, I'm a self proclaimed probably the most irritating person to play a video game with because I <laughs> have had so many people want to fight me over video games. Because I just used to be really, really good at video games. So I used to bet people. And I used to have people want to fight all the time. And I talk shit. But I, but I make it clear. Like, once it goes too far, I'm like, look, chill. Like, these are jokes. You, like, this ain't serious. Like, if you want to get, if you want to, like, we could fight. That's different. But Draymond, it's just like, I mean, sometimes you just got to shut the fuck up. You like, don't expect it, to get punched in the face. There was one time I told you I caught that dude slipping. I was in the media box. He was in the media box. I was like, yo, if we weren't here, he would have caught the hands. But once again, as a grown-ass man, you got to think, I just can't be, you know, offering the fade everywhere I go. So I knew and that, that guy deserved an ass-whooping off-rip. To this day, he probably deserves an ass-whooping. I won. I got to let it go. I won in the game of life. But still, like, I, I really couldn't punch him. Tristan didn't give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, the dilemma is this. Like, what's good? Not it's not a case of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's it's a case of you got to be careful because you might think it's cool, but somebody else might flex. And again, you don't like sometimes you got to be careful with who you talking shit to. The stakes are a lot higher in the NBA Finals than they are like me playing video games or any other situation. And you just talking shit about somebody, you might get caught with one. Like I'm not running up on nobody punching in the face. I'm too old for that shit. However, other people will do that shit. Tristan Thompson, you think he's a millionaire, running with the Kardashian clan, he won't do no shit like that. And Draymond got caught. And he got caught <laughs> out there. I, I mean, look, man, is it a I'm definitely not getting punched by a Canadian. I'm just there's going to be Canadians hitting us up now like, yo. <laughs> but I'm just saying the point, the fact of the matter is you run your mouth, you need to be ready to defend whatever it is. Because if you get caught, you ran your mouth. You ask for that shit. And Draymond talks a lot. Like, if LeBron two-pieced Lance Stevenson for blowing in his ear, people be like, yo, LeBron's wrong, but Lance kind of asked for that shit. So it's like, it's wrong that Tristan did it, but Draymond should have been prepared for, for the consequence of him running his mouth. No, Sooner no. or later, you're going to cross paths. As a grown man, you never are prepared to be punched in the face. That, that's my stance. Like, you're, you're prepared for someone to come and tell you they're upset. There might be some, oh my God, homie back moments. But you're never prepared to just see someone, look, talk to your friend again, look back, and there's a punch being thrown. I wonder if Draymond's going to re- reconsider his shit talking now, though. No, he's going to talk more shit. Word is that he didn't get knocked out. He didn't even touch the ground. Which is more embarrassing for Tristan. You, I mean, You can't me have pers- two straight punches in someone's face and them not drop. Listen, me personally, like if, if I'm really upset about something and I see you somewhere... The most disrespectful thing you can do is give a, a backhanded slap. That's I've always wanted to do this to somebody. Like if somebody's just talking shit, like the dude that was trying to, the, 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 which is relationship, the guy that got in the middle of that, I'd have just backhanded slapped him and challenged him to a duel, and I would have left. 
Yo. I would have I wore a glove. I would have wore a glove, took the glove off, and just backhanded it. Now, if he's bad, then there it is. But whatever. I want to do that. There's the Bernie Mac slap in Head of State where he's coming off of the train. If anyone's if you haven't watched it in forever, because I know the movie came out like 2001, Chris Rock, Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac's getting off the train, and they're trying to ask him questions right before he's running for vice president, and he's just slapping people. The last slap is so dirty. Is backhanded and he brings it all the way from like the left ear and just catches him. Oh my God. The sound effects in that movie. I've always wanted to slap someone just like that. That, the Jay Z mush when he mushed a chick coming down the hallway where he put her whole face against the wall. I want to do that at some point in life and I wanted to throw a Molotov cocktail. I feel like I've gotten to a point where I'm too professional to do all three, but if I ever get the chance, I'm doing that shit. Yeah. I don't think about that shit, but except for slapping people. Slapping people. <laughs> knew, people you you look like the person who would just slap somebody. Like, just mad <laughs> disrespectful. Like, they think you're going to punch them. They get slapped, and everyone just stops and looks around like, did he just slap it? Yeah, but see, but my whole thing is, you know, there's got to be proper preparation for a slap. And I know this is going way too far, but this is how I think. Like, when you take off the glove, you don't take off the glove with your hand. You take it off with your teeth. You bite each fingertip and you pull it. Like, you've seen this before. The and slow pull, slap. Yeah, the slow, like, like if you're talking and I have a glove on, I'm biting the tips of the fingers. And, like, you you know it's coming, but you don't think I'm really going to do it. And then I pull back because it's not a, a not an open-handed slap across the mouth. It's a backhanded slap. Knuckles across the cheek. That's what I want to do. All right. Moving on. Oh, the preparation and the mental image of you preparing. You wearing a glove. First off, it's just amazing. I should tell you right there, it's going to be a problem. If I show up with a glove, you better run. Right. <laughs> Yo, all right. So, oh, man, I don't even know how to transition from that. Just that mental image is stuck and burned in my brain now. And all the listeners are going to be like, damn, I know if we go to this live show and Andre's got a pair of gloves on, I'm out. Yeah. I can't even fuck with him that night. <laughs> oh, looking like Prince in the Chappelle skit. That is amazing. Uh, talk about other wild shit that's happening to athletes. Athletes are getting caught up with their past, not slapping people, not choking people, uh, not hitting people in the head like with frying pans. Just tweets. Dre, we were both around in the early days of Twitter. Yeah. You before me. You you were in the debauchery days of Twitter. But that shit was damn near Black Planet. This is a wild west, yeah. You 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 were back then. I hopped on like twenty ten, which I hate when people are like, "Yo, Twitter was washed by then." Get the hell out of here, two thousand eight Twitter people. Like, <laughs> I, the the highbrow black Twitter people were like, "You weren't on in 08? Shut the hell up. I was on in twenty ten. Ain't like I jumped on last year. So anyway, I got on like twenty ten. It was crazy back then. And these are when these tweets are surfacing. Twenty eleven, uh, twenty twelve. And we're seeing multiple athletes get caught up. Baseball players coming out having to apologize for racially insensitive tweets. I love how they say that shit. They never say what the tweet was. Racially insensitive. Or, uh, you know, derogatory tweets or gays, women, uh, rape culture, whatever it may be. We see WWE stars Cedric Alexander and Ty Dillinger get caught up. And now we see Cody Garbrandt get called on a carpet for his tweets. Um... Really, just talking to his friends and dropping the N word like it just is. His was very conversational, and he did no apologies for using it. He just said that's what we did. 
So now that we're seeing all these things, um, you know, bring up besides what they said, and we'll get to that in a second. The fact that people are now starting to dig through Twitter's purposely to catch athletes up. Do you think this is a problem? And do you think now it, it's kind of drowning out uh, the, the message behind it? And is it too much where like everyone was saying me too? And it's like, yo, be chill out. Cause there's people who really part of this movement, real victims. And people were just kind of crying wolf with it. Is this where we're getting? They're just looking for anything in the athlete's history and it's diluting the, the purpose of the cause. I mean, so here's my stance on this. Like, everybody's done some dumb shit at some point in time. Correct. And, and all of us have. And none of, none of our hands are clean. And if your hands are clean, then I don't know what to tell you. You must be a child of God. I don't know why you but, listen to this podcast if your hands exactly. are clean. But the, the fact that people are digging through old Twitter accounts to try to dig up dirt is pretty stupid. And it's annoying as hell. However, when the dirt is dug up, you have to answer for it. And I... I don't think it's anything you should lose your job over. Like, for anybody that had a tweet of, like, a rape joke, right? Like, I, I said this in our group chat the other day. I will always laugh at Eddie Murphy Raw, <laughs> although 90% of the comedy in that, in that special would, would not fly today. Hell no. No, no, you can't say any of that. But I will always laugh at it. And now, if you are offended by me saying that, that's too bad for you. I'm going to always laugh at Eddie Murphy Raw. I'm going to always laugh at Delirious. I'm going to laugh at Bernie Mac on uh, uh, Kings of Comedy when, he, when he's talking about the, the kid with the milk and cookies. <laughs> I'm always going to laugh at this. It's a different time now. Some of those jokes don't fly. But back when we were younger, there were some things that we shouldn't say today that we said back then. The N-word is not one of them, white people. So don't try <laughs> to use it. It's not the same thing. Okay, okay. But like, but like rape jokes and, and gay jokes, they're wrong. And once you recognize they're wrong, you stop doing them. However, yeah, we've all done, like, we've all been caught up in this because the, the society's become a, a lot more PC now. So once you recognize what is wrong, if somebody were to dig up your past, you know, the, the, the true answer is, like, I was ignorant back then, times have changed, I'm sorry. There's really not much more to it. Like, if you want me to go on some kind of apology tour, then it becomes, like, a big fuck you. Like, for, for certain, like, for jokes. I don't think you should be fired for jokes. But can Joke. we blame Cardi, Cody Garbrandt for his stance then? Because... To him, it's like saying a rape joke. Like, to him, he's not necessarily sorry that he said it. He's sorry that it came up. He's sorry that it offended people. He's not is sorry, he sorry for... Is for, he sorry that... It, so, here, here's my problem with Cody. Like, and this is what I say. Like, when you ask people to apologize for some shit... Like, Cody was like, I did it a decade ago. No, you did it six years ago. Six years ago, you were 21. You fucking knew better. Like, that. that's where it starts. If you were 16 listening to rap music, and you had a bunch of white friends who were all saying it to you, and you said it too, I don't, I, it's not acceptable, but I understand where it comes from because the word has taken off such a different meaning than it did like when I was younger. So they say it is a term of endearment, even though it's not for them, but there's been multiple people that said, don't use that word, but I can almost understand where you're coming from. But when you're 21 and you're using this word and it's always just as problematic for you to be 21 and then you say you have black friends. Like, I've never seen Cody Garvin with black people, so I don't know where this comes from. Maybe he just changed his life. But the point is, if you got black folks at 21 giving white folks a pass for saying the N-word, that's just as problematic as Cody using it in the first place. Well, I guess they gave him the pass when he was like 15. What are you supposed to say? Like, yo, we 21, you can't say it no more? Dog, when you're 21, you, were, you grow up. Like, it was not acceptable. The N-word's never been acceptable. 
for a white person to use. And you don't need a guy, you don't need a, a movement to tell you that it's not acceptable. Like the N-word has been around for a long time and it's always been derogatory towards black people. Now I get it where these white kids say, well, they say the rap songs, I don't want to say it to my friends and I don't mean any harm by it. Okay, fine. But the, the argument is, when you get these hands put on you for using that word, you know better. Cody Garvin is 21, you know better. 13, you may not know better. 13 around a whole bunch of white kids, you may not know better. But at 21, you know better. And at that point, it's unacceptable. Yeah. And of course, I'm playing devil's advocate. But even, like you said, we've all done some pretty dumb shit. Like, I, listen, no one should go back to my MySpace and see some of the shit talking me and my friends were saying over Halo games. Like, it's just next level. But back then, quote unquote, it was acceptable. To say weird stuff like, oh, that's gay. Like, no one can say that shit anymore. And that was like a term. Like, it it was real. Like, this is something people said all the time. The shit you would say in in Halo, like, as far as, let you die four times and see some of the language coming out of your mouth. Like, it was bad. And these things were, you know, posted on people's walls and blah, blah, blah. Like, it it was crazy. So... I, you know, I don't want someone digging through my old tweets necessarily. Even though I think I, it's about time I just scrub everything out. There's websites for that, right? Like, I just need to just clear it out just in case. I don't need shit before 2013. Um, and, you know, it, it feels weird to judge these people. Not that they get a pass. Not that saying the N-word is ever right. But we have people that say that shit today. Who right. have to answer no questions. I think you mentioned that in the group chat. Like, there's people in the UFC today saying that shit and it's like nah oh well and you can't act like you know just not saying derogatory comments towards gays and all this shit. people say that today manny said that before selling two million pay-per-views like there's this shit going on today that people are like okay whatever but it's brought up from the past and now it's like answer for your past like people don't have to answer for their now it's, I mean, that's true. The, the Mike Perry situation is the situation I continuously bring up. Like, we're digging up Cody Garbrandt tweets from 2012. Well, Mike Perry had it in Twitter in 2018, and y'all ain't saying shit. Like, there is a problem there. So, so it's like, going back to the Cody situation, it's like, when Cody, like, I had a problem with Cody getting aggravated by it and, say, and lying to say it was a decade ago when it wasn't, because a decade would make him 17, 16 years old, which is still inaccessible when he's younger. But the fact that he was, and then he didn't apologize. Because, like, and to say to say it's lyrics, like, the first thing you said was it's lyrics. It means you're clearly blaming this on rap music. And rap music is a culprit in some ways because it's become such a fashionable term for a lot of people that they really don't understand the connotation of it. But then he just goes on, like, you know, you know drugs. Like, dog, what does drugs have to do with you saying the N-word? It, it's, I, I understand what he's trying to say, but you need to just apologize and move the fuck on. That's my problem with Cody. He stands like, apologize. I was dumb. I was ignorant. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. But when you try to explain these things away as if it's acceptable because you give me an explanation, that becomes a problem. And that's why we say, like, the apology is almost as big of an issue as the tweets. Because nobody knows how to fucking apologize. Nobody knows to say, man, I was dumb. I did some dumb shit. It's like you're trying to cop a plea as to why you should accept the fact that I said it. No, man, you you shouldn't have said it. And... What I'm going to give, and I'll be in the minority of giving um, him the pass this week. You know what? They didn't ask uh, They didn't ask Mike Perry during his fight week. They asked Cigar Brand during his. Two days 
right before a weight cut, all this shit. Listen, I you'd be grumpy as hell. You'd be like, yo, don't bring that shit to me today. Don't you see I got a fight in two days? You gonna ask me about this shit? Like, so maybe he would apologize if they would ask them post-fight, Ariel Hawani show next Monday, uh, the MMA hour next Monday. Right now, mid-grumpy fight day, like, yo, don't bring that shit to me. That was a decade ago. So I can yeah. understand how that could be the response today. We'll see what he says next week. It's not gonna go away. The narrative, no, no, the no, no. narrative it's, is it's, there. It's probably gonna go away. That's the problem with society. These things go, if you don't address them, they go away. They disappear. Yeah, that's like the Mike Perry thing. Like nobody's asking Mike Perry about this shit three weeks later, a month later, two months later. It's gone. The only person to talk about it is me and you. Yeah, that's true. That's I mean, that's it's only because you didn't ask him about it because you had lost your job. Yeah, like I, I, I <laughs> he would have said some shit worse than this, by the way. Yeah, see that, and that's like people have asked me. I, had, I like I said, I went back and forth on this for for day for like a week. Like, should I say something? or Should I not say something? You chose wisely. Yeah, and it's like if I say something, he says something foul. I'm gonna lose my job, and I'm gonna get banned because like it's gonna be a problem. Because look, there's no, which we'll talk about in a second. The UFC is clearly steered towards like you know, right wing males, and not really sensitive towards African Americans. No, just call it what it is. So if I say I'm offended, Dana White would probably tell me to get over it, and I have to slap backhanded slap Dana White, and we don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, he'll ban you before even addressing it. Right. He'll try to just quiet down the, the conversation um, because that's how they handle it. It's, it's like, we know what the UFC is, right? We know what combat sports is. There, there's a reason why we even have this podcast because we clearly found it funny that they put all the black people together. Why? Because there's only three black people. Yeah. Like If there was half black people in media row, this shit wouldn't even be a thing. We found it hilarious because there was only three of us. Most of the time, just two of us. And yeah. it's just like, okay, we, we know. We know. There's like two women. And we, two, three women, we know all of them. Like, it, it's not like the, the club is that, that diverse. Now, we have forward-thinking people as far as journalists in MMA, which is great. And we get to talk to them and be friends and everything's cool beans, but that doesn't change the demographics of it. And MMA, on the top level, is still that good old boys club. It's still, you know, there's a lot of black athletes, a lot of minority athletes. The Brazilians. You took a whole damn style from the Brazilians. They've yeah. carried MMA for so long. But it's still, it's very much like Django Unchained, where you get to, like, you know, the plantation owners are like, yes, fight. And you just get the, the, the best athletes and just want to watch them fighting on the carpet to the death like it's that mentality at the top and that's why mma pay fighters don't get paid very much um because you, you don't get into mma because you're rich i mean there's only few sage north cuts in the world even if you're even if you're white you you come from humble beginnings if this is the career you choose well, not everybody. I mean, you got to think. Shane Carwin was an engineer. Uh, Forrest Griffin had a degree. I believe Stefan Bonner was in college. Like, well, that's because they're college athletes. Well, whole different, that, whole different route. But not only that, like the price to train MMA is more expensive than the price it is to walk into a boxing gym. Oh, it's, yeah. it's it's not as easy. Like that's why I mean, this is. But you get a lot of guys who are like college wrestlers. So even if you were damn near grown up, dead broke. I mean, Tyron Woodley's not, family's not rich. They're not, but guess what? He got his college degree, he went to school because it was afforded to him as an athlete. 
still came from pretty shitty beginnings. And then you happen to be in a sport where after you finished wrestling, they were still probably like, eh, you're going to be broke. You're going to be a high school teacher. Or you get punched in the face for a living. For yeah, bar- but, barely more. But there's more middle-class Americans that, that compete in MMA than there are in boxing. Like well, boxing, boxing is boxing's like, the... Bo- I mean, but boxing's always been that, right? Well, yeah, but Boxing's that's, damn near been like, like the slums of the slums. Like, you, you got no money in boxing. You, you're going to get punched in the head repeatedly. Yeah, but it's it's the difference between boxing and MMA. Like MMA has become a more middle class America sport because like if I want to put my kids through jujitsu, wrestling, like you got these kids starting off young, that costs money. Like we're uh, we're reaching the age where there, there's know, more Ngannou's than that, right? Like there's there's more Brazilians who learn this shit in the favelas. Like there, I, I need to see the percentages I mean, of people. Like I, I feel like you still come from. From learning this shit in like backyards until you can get to the highest levels, like you're Not still anymore. scrounging, or, or you're a college athlete. But if you're a college athlete, I mean, not all of them are broke. Like a lot of them, like, but most boxers never go to college, so it's like that's true. The sport doesn't but, lend itself to them. Yeah, so without you know the guys like Wonder Boy who were kickboxers, or guys like Sage, of course, or the the white people in MMA. Let's just talk about a lot of the white people. Not all of them are poor. Like some of them, they were wrestlers. Some of them got paid to go to school. Not everybody got a full ride to be a wrestler. Some of them they are Mike Perry's, where you actually are. Like, yeah, some of them are. <laughs> but I'm, just, I'm just saying, there's more. There's more people. Like to, the cost to train in MMA is far more expensive than it is in boxing because boxing is one discipline. MMA is like five. Like you got to go to your striking class. You got to go to your jujitsu class. You got to go to your wrestling class. Like it's there's a lot more money involved in training in MMA. So so why don't they get paid as much at the top level? Because of Dana White. <laughs> I mean, you want, I mean, you want to keep it funky. Like, MMA, like, the UFC set a precedent on how much these guys were going to get paid. Boxing has a longer lineage. And boxing, once upon a time, was, like, the, the top two or three sports in the world. Like, That's what's like, so crazy. Like, I was watching the 30 for 30 on Duran versus... Um, versus, I think it was Ray Leonard. So it was Duran Leonard, the rematch. And I think Sugar Ray Leonard got paid, like in the documentary, they say he got paid like 25 mil. Duran was up in like 10 mil. Yeah, UFC people still don't get that. With inflation, 30 years of inflation, and the UFC still can't touch that. No, I mean, because there's not... It's ridiculous. Like boxing was a glamorous sport. Like boxing was... Where everyone, it still is, it still is. Like as much as we love MMA, you're not. There's not nearly as many celebrities ringside as MMA as there is for a huge boxing match. Like there won't be a McGregor Mayweather type of crowd where nobody can afford the tickets except for celebrities, and they still damn near sell that shit out. There's never an MMA fight that's been in that high demand, and especially, and it just it still hasn't appealed to the urban demographic. There's more of us involved, but it's nothing like a big big fight, and so MMA. The payouts are the way they are is because they set that precedent. There's no single promoter that's like, oh, my fighter's making 30, 40 million a fight. Like Conor McGregor might break that scale, but that might be just him and nobody else. So it's different, man. It's it's different strokes for different folks. So MMA, yeah, it's gotta change, but there's no union. There's there's a lot of things that are good in boxing. Like most people say boxers are overpaid, but the top of the top gets a ton of money and the bottom of the bottom gets like twenty five dollars a fight. So it's like <laughs> there's parity here, but you know, MMA is still a weird sport because it doesn't have that kind of historical context as boxing does. Boxing's legacy is 
longer than most sports. NBA, NFL, Fox has been around before all that shit. So at the, at the top of boxing, I mean, we have the Delahoyas, right? We had the Don Kings. It seems like even promoters, the top of the top, the people controlling the money in some aspects are minorities or just different. They're, they're an eclectic group. We've seen that you can do it. The UFC seems like, you know, MAGA culture at the time. MMA kind of in general. There's not diversity at the top, even though there's diversity in the fighters. It, it no. seems like the good old boys club. It is. And even beyond the UFC. Yeah, I mean, look, man, there was pride in Japan. And pride was huge in Japan. And then you have like one who's, who's big overseas in Asia. But the UFC is going to UFC. And that's what they appeal to is like the beer drink. Like, dude, the sponsors like Budweiser. Boxing sponsors like Corona. Different demographic right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Steve A with Modelo was, was funny. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, really? But it's, it's just, it's just, it's different, man. It, it, but it comes down to who's running it and who's the face of your company. And Dana White's the face of the UFC. And he's, and he's, he's next to Trump, arm in arm. Yeah, they're buddies. With, so with Covington, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> I saw Yo. you tweet that out earlier. And I was like, "Yep, yeah, this—that's the public face of the company." Not only did Dana, Dana White two days ago said Covington will not be a champion on September eighth, as soon as that bell rings, didn't stop him from taking Covington the belt and and everyone who wanted to come to the White House and in the Oval Office and smiling their ass off. Yeah, like, did, do we have we ever seen Dana White with Barack Obama? No. Did Tyron Woodley, Demetrius Johnson, John Jones, Daniel Cormier, did any of them get to meet Barack Obama? No. But here's Kobe Covington. Now all champions have to get the invite, right? And we've yeah. created a precedent. It's like basketball. All champions have to have an open invite. So if Woodley said, yo, I want to go to the Oval Office, and we're going to chop it up, Trump has to let him in. No, that's not going to happen because, I mean, come on. You know Trump ain't going to let Tyron Woodley in. No, but it's, it's like, a precedent. It should be, but it's not. Like, Kobe Covington was an interim champion. Interim. Off of a bullshit fight. Like, the Dos Angeles fight shouldn't have been for an interim title. And Dana was like, you know what? You want to go to the White House? Come on, let's go. It just kind of expo- it shows you where the sport is at. Like, the people at the top, you know, their, their allegiances. I mean, it's, all, it's different than Vince McMahon, right? Like, Dana White is not only the face of the company, but he spoke at the Republican National Convention. Uh-huh. So it's like... That MAGA gimmick is taking Covington to far ways, too, by the way. I mean, it took him to see Donald Trump, but we'll see how much more money he's making. I mean, it I don't got him a belt. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dana's still tight-pocketed, but it got him a belt. Yeah. Interim or not, that's that's not too shabby. No, it's not bad. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, he can fight. He beat those angels. He can fight. He definitely that's can, all- yeah. Yeah, so he can fight. So that's what really matters. I mean, the MAGA gimmick, whatever, whether he believes it or not, I don't care. I hope Tyron beats his ass one day. I hope Kamaru Usman gets his hands on him, but we'll see. Oh, yeah. Usman, well, Usman's still kind of wrestling death to death. Yeah. I need someone who's just going to knock him out one hit a quarter. Tyron or his Woodley. ass might win. Like, <laughs> Yo, if he beats Tyron Woodley, though, I don't care what that, if he beats Tyron Woodley, then then we're in for some shit. Yeah, we all got to shut up. Yeah, so. yeah. Now we just got to eat, <laughs> eat it until Connor bump his ass up. Um... So we actually have an actual UFC card this weekend. Um, you've missed like two or three since the last time we talked. We won't hit the rewind button. A lot of shit happened. We talked about it on last week's show. 
uh, you were here in spirit. So don't got to reset on that. UFC 227 was this weekend in LA. Good fights. Um, even though I think the main card could be better. It could be. There's At the top, it's pretty good. Last week, like I said, last week's fights should have been combined with this one. There was no reason to do that one separately. Because if you get, you know, the, what, Dos Anjos fight, or not Dos Anjos, um, who the hell fought last week? Poirier and Alvarez. Poirier and Alvarez. You put that on here, that's a pretty damn good fight as your third best fighter at night. Yeah. You had other really good fights on that card as well. Um, Jose Aldo making his return and looking good on that card. Uh, he almost got rocked, but that's where he is. He lives now. It's an exciting version of Aldo. You throw that on here. There were some really good fights on that card. Just kind of buried on a random weekend. And did some of the worst numbers on USC on Fox ever. If not the worst. There's no reason not to stack these cards and pray for better pay-per-view numbers. I mean, that's really all you're doing is praying for better pay-per-view. Because I don't even know if putting Jose Aldo... Like, if they're not watching it on free TV, like, totally free. We're not talking about, like, I got to have premium cable free. We're talking about Fox. Like... Like, on, like, five. Yeah. yeah. Like, like if, if, if I had rabbit ear antennas, I could watch UFC on Fox. So it's like, if it's not doing the well there, I don't know if it can really bolster your pay-per-view. So I'm, I'm fine with them doing a free show like that because that was actually a pretty good card. Like, this card this weekend... I mean, let's be honest. The boxing model, although we hate it and we'd like to see cards with more with better undercards, people still only pay for like the, the main and the co-main event. It's really all they're really watching. That's the damn shit. I feel like UFC's always been different, right? Like we we show up at three thirty and we're entertained. We but now it's too many cards. Like once upon a time when it was like once a month, yeah, because you know those fights like it's oversaturated now. There's, there's too many fights, and at a certain point you're like, man, I can't watch a fight at 3.30 anymore because I just did this shit last week. Like, back then, it was like, oh, it's only once a month. I can watch every fight, and I'm pretty sure they're all going to be good. Now it's like, well, who the fuck is this guy? Like, you don't even know who half <laughs> the guys are on the card anymore. No, no. A lot of people, I can't even pull up their history. No, because, you know, they, they don't necessarily have one. So, like, this particular card, it's top-heavy with two rematches, which, in all intents and purposes, they shouldn't even these fights shouldn't really be happening at this point in time. It's just my opinion, but uh, they're happening. So there's that. Um, and then you have like Cub Swanson like, opening up the pay per view, and then there's like a woman's fight, and I can't remember what the other fight is. Tiago Tiago Santos. Oh, Tiago Santos, like, who just got beat up by David Branch, but he's on the pay per view. Um, you know, people aren't paying for that. They're paying for the the, the TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt and to watch Demetrius Johnson. I don't even know if they're paying to watch Demetrius Johnson, which is a whole conversation in itself. We know they're not paying to watch Demetrius Johnson, and that's they, the problem. Like it, it's true. Yeah, I had a radio spot. I was like, at this point, DJ, the best best thing he could hope for is to go into Dana and just say, you know what, Dana, I want to be the king of the co-main. You're not going to stick me on these random ass co-mains with Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw. That's going to do. 200,000 buys. Like, I'm a pound-for-pound all-time great. All I ask is not even to headline my own event, is to get on the Cormier versus Lesnar cards or throw me on the Connor cards. You better stack me with someone else who's going to sell so I can make some coin. I mean, it's a sad reality. And, you know, I'm writing a piece about it today. It's like, is is Demetrius Johnson really the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, right? 
And there's a sad reality about all this because pound for pound is tough when you lose that when you lost at 135. Right. And you look at the landscape of flyweight, and none of those guys have ever been in the pound for pound rankings. Meanwhile, Cormier has beat up fighters in two divisions. Conor McGregor has done the same. Um, you have guys that move up in weight, like Dustin Poirier, who might be challenging for a lightweight title. Not to take away from Demetrius Johnson's uh, accolades, but you know now we're in the wash, rinse, and repeat uh, part of his career. He's fighting Henry Cejudo, who he knocked out in the first round like two years ago. And it's like if he wins, like so, mm-hmm. he's supposed to win. And I, and I like Demetrius Johnson, but my point is, there's nobody in that flyweight division right now that I'm looking at was like, man, that's a threat. Nobody. But you can't even justify paying him for a quote unquote super fight. With like a TJ Dillashaw at 135, and though I call for it, I wanted to see it. I say that's the best thing for his legacy, but you can't justify paying the man a million dollars for that fight when a, that super fight's not even going to sell. Like no one's going to care. No, and it's it's part part of Demetrius Johnson's fault in a way because he didn't speak up earlier in his career, and it sucks because he should have recognized that uh, you know, that they weren't promoting him. The UFC is never really going to take care of him. Like he's. I like DJ, but he's not the most engaging interview. He doesn't give you a lot, and that's his fault. It's the UFC's fault for not putting him in the right position to flourish as a as a fucking super gamer. Like we've talked about this before, he should be on the cover of like IGN magazine uh, website in uh, yeah, electronic games. But you still got to do cool shit as a gamer. Like you, you kind of have to be like Angie Hill. Yeah, like you have like, like you, you got to cosplay. You got to like come to the ring, like try to weigh in cosplay. You know, like you got to do some MVP type shit, like knock someone out, do a Fortnite dance, like that would trend. Yeah, he doesn't no, even try to do that. It's true. Like DJ, as great of a fighter as he is, I don't know if he's the pound for pound best fighter. I don't think he's the best pound for pound best fighter in the UFC. I think he's close, but until he can prove that he can move up and win. Which is weird because he doesn't necessarily have to because he's too small for Bantamweight. He's, like, legitimately too small. But that is the argument for pound for pound. Exactly. The argument for pound for pound is that if, if everybody was the same, who would be the best fighter? So it, it's, it gets interesting. But um, it, he's, in, he's in a weird part of his career, man. And, and there's just really no flyweights that you look at and be like, that guy's going to be a threat. Which is why we're getting Henry Cejudo again. Yeah. And I, I don't, at this point, I'm not even looking for competition for him. I just want the man to make some money before he gets out. And it's nice to see DC cash out. You know what? Let DC fight Lesnar. Hell, on a whim, he had to fight uh, He had to fight Anderson Silva, right? Like, yeah. he did that. He did you a solid. Let him get another legacy fight. Anderson Silva wasn't beating him. So what? He took the fight anyway. He was nice about it. I don't think Lesnar's beating him. There's a path to it happening, but I don't think it's going to happen. So you know what? Let the man cash out. He's earned it. He's deserved it. He's not the most. In- I know. I think he's a very funny guy, um, but he doesn't draw as much as he should in Cormier. So you know what? Let him cash out if he wants to cash out. I'm okay with that. There's no route with that for DJ. There's no Conor McGregor possibility. That'd be the closest thing, and he's not heavy enough to challenge Conor McGregor ever. No, and, uh, and the other problem is that you know DJ should have been paid a long time ago. Like, boxing, oh yeah, like you yeah. know, like. <laughs> Looking at the contract, real quick, looking at the contract of some of the veteran heavyweights, like looking at Overeem's contracts and not paying DJ is ridiculous. That, oh. that's, that's the bigger issue here. Like, DJ should have been paid long. Look, he's the only champion the flyweight division has ever known. Like, since that division debuted on the UFC roster, DJ's the only champ. The only champ. 
like how is this man not getting just paid like you don't like I don't want to hear no bullshit like if we pay him like five hundred thousand or a million dollars or whatever it is that's gonna hurt the UFC. That's not gonna happen. Nope. So he should have been paid. Like if Overeem is making all this money, Miocic like DJ seven fifty to lose. Overeem is making seven fifty to lose. That's that's crazy. Like the the DJ should get some respect even though he's not drawing. But then that's your fault. Like your job as a promoter is to promote fights. Like that's your job. If DJ's not selling, you need to do something different. It's, it's DJ's part part of his fault because he's not as engaging as he could be. But I guess your job as a promoter is to promote the fight. Not the fighter's job is not to promote. Fighters just become their own promoters because they have nothing better to do and they want to learn how to make more money. But then it becomes a double edged sword because when Conor McGregor becomes a better promoter than the UFC, now he wants a piece of your company. Yeah, I mean the UFC UFC is happy with it because you know what they're making money without promoting people. They, they prove that, you know what, the ESPNs of the world, they're going to cut the check. And we can be lazy as hell. Because they see every now and then, we're going to get the Connors, we're going to get the Rondas. These people are going to fall into our lap. And maybe you can recoup your investment. Right. And, and that's it. So they don't have to try right now. Um, let's give our predictions real quick so we can move on. We have, uh, yeah, let's see how far I can skip up this card. I think I go straight to the main card. Even though Shorty Torres is in the prelims uh, finale, which is probably the third best fighter tonight. Um, we have Cub Swanson versus Renato Moicano. Um, Cub Swanson, right? Like, why am I even... Even though Moicano has a good record, only one loss, Cub Swanson, he's not on gatekeeper status yet for me. Um, he's nearing it. Moicano is like a minus 300 favorite in this fight, at least, I think. Um, but Ooh, I like Cub Swanson too. I like too, Cub, yeah. <laughs> like that, that, I'll take that bet. It, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting fight because McConnell's only lost to Ortega by submission, um, and aside from that, he's looked pretty good. But you know, I don't know, man. I like Cub. I think Cub has a lot left. I mean, he lost to Frankie Edgar and Brian Ortega, so it's like, I mean, those aren't two bad of, losses. Yeah, like, yeah. Cool. Everyone does, damn near. Exactly. So I I can't really hold it against Cub. So yeah, I like Cub in the fight. Yeah, his last couple fights before then, Cavagieri decision, uh, uh, Doho Choi, which was great, uh, match of the year, and then Artem Lobov, Connor's boy. So, yeah. I mean, he's not horrible. Like, he's not washed right now. So this would be a good test, but I'll take Cub in that one. Um, Pollyanna Viana versus J.J. Aldrich. Women's strawweight match. I guess they're pushing the strawweight division. Yeah, I mean, Viana's, I think she's 10 and 1. She's looked really good in regional competition. Um, Aldrich is a pretty big underdog here, but. Journey woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Viana should win, but like, don't count Aldrich to win a decision out. Like, there's a very strong possibility that could happen. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Viana. Yeah, smart move. I'm going with Viana as well. Like, I was like, wait, are you going to pick her? Yeah. Um, um, I'm going with Viana. Then Tiago Santos versus Kevin Holland. Ugh. I mean, give me Santos. He was on a run before that David Branch knockout. Um, Kevin Holland fought in Bellator. He doesn't have anything that's overwhelmingly uh, good about him. He doesn't have, like, a great quality. But uh, Tiago Santos, he's got this issue. He's, he's, for the most part, it's either you knock somebody out or he gets knocked out. So my prediction is this fight doesn't go three rounds. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and pick Santos here. I think he's got to get a bounce back win. Yeah, some of the losses on the, on his resume they're they're big name losses. 
So until you start, you know, getting washed by newcomers and scrubs, I'll give you a fair shot at things. Uh, Mighty Mouse versus Henry Cejudo. Do we see the upset? No. There, I mean, there's nothing. All right. So the the whole narrative for this fight is Henry Cejudo's gotten better since he lost to DJ. Right. His hands have gotten better. So he lost to Joseph Benavidez in a fight that a lot of people thought was really close. A lot of people actually thought Henry Cejudo won. Then Cejudo beat Wilson Grace. Then Cejudo beat Sergio Pettis. None of those three guys can hold a candle to Demetrius Johnson. If Cejudo enters this fight thinking that he's a better striker and is like, I'm going to strike with Demetrius Johnson, he's going to get fucked up. So his bread and butter has been his wrestling his whole life. If he mixes it up with wrestling and strikes, he has a chance. But I don't see this fight going five rounds. And I think DJ stops him again just a little bit later. Yeah, DJ, he's just too good. He's too good. Fool me once, not fooling me twice. I picked Cejudo the first time. I was like, oh, Cejudo's Olympic wrestling. They even try to use that shit. So he didn't have a chance. Look, dude, I mean, he, he got, didn't have a chance. Just got caught with body punch after body punch. No, uh, knees. He ate the knees. He was not prepared for the knees. So I guarantee he'll be prepared for the knees this time. But if he comes out with that weird kung fu stance, he's getting fucked up. I'm telling you. That's he loves that shit now. The in and out, kind of TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz, herky jerky stance. It ain't gonna work. Like Demetrius is too good. Like TJ Dillashaw reinvented his entire career behind Dwayne Ludwig. And we'll talk about this with the Cody Garbrandt fight. The thing that TJ Dillashaw does better than most that people don't even recognize is how well he adjusts. I don't think Cejudo has a plan B if DJ neutralizes what he comes out with his plan A. I don't think Cejudo has a chance in hell of figuring out what's next. DJ can just figure out shit on the fly. He DJ just is playing a video game. Yeah, like he just he naturally adapts to whatever the situation is. You want to wrestle? Like if you go back and watch the first Cejudo fight, Cejudo took him down. DJ had a butterfly guard, kicked him right off. And then from there, they got him in the clinch, kneed him in the guts, and it was over. So Cejudo will probably do something different, but I don't think if DJ does anything different, Cejudo's going to be like, what do I do with this shit? He's going to lose. Yeah. Cejudo's probably preparing for the same DJ he fought the first time, and DJ's just, he's a chameleon. He's something different every time. So um, I'm going to go with Mighty Mouse. I think he'll go all five this time. I, I think Cejudo improved. I think he'll use the wrestling more, but I, I don't. I expect maybe like four to one, maybe a five five round sweep for DJ. Yeah. I don't see this going to the scorecards. I think DJ is so confident because he already he already knocked him out the first time. He might just try to submit him. He might Ray Borg his ass. He like he might get bored and try to figure something out to finish him. He's how crazy it? Yeah, like how crazy is it that he's now a finishing machine? Yeah, like he he's got a goal now. And it's it's not like Terrence Crawford type mean streak, but it's a mean streak where DJ starts looking at a fight. It was like, well, how can I finish you? I don't want this to get to the scorecards. So he's been finishing guys. So I don't expect Cejudo to make it to the final round. I, I think this ends in like three or four. No, that's fair. Um, then we have TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt. First fight back and forth. Cody almost knocked TJ out in the end of the first. Saved by the bell. TJ catches Cody in that second with a head kick. Cody never really recovers, gets knocked out. I expect this fight to go a lot of the same way, except to me, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, TJ's only chance to knock him out is to catch him with a knee or a kick. Cody's jaw and his head and everything is still very tough. I think he can stand in there with a firefight between hands and fists and withstand the power. I don't see Cody getting caught with another kick or a knee, so I think Cody's power wins out. I think he tests TJ's jaw, and I think he, he lands the knockout and stops TJ. I'd say this time he stops TJ in the second. Don't see it. Here's why. 
I'm going to go back to exactly what I said. TJ figures you out. Once he figures you out, you're kind of screwed. When TJ fought Hennenborough the first time, it was a little difficult, and then he watched him later rounds. After he figured out Hennenborough, the second fight was just one-sided. Yeah. Rafael Sunsau would narrowly beat Dillashaw the first time. TJ made slight adjustments in the rematch and pretty much dominated that fight. TJ's game plan is to figure you out. Once he figures you out, if you don't have a plan B, you are screwed. Cody Garbrandt got knocked out. If there's nothing else about this fight that interests me, is how does Cody Garbrandt come back from getting knocked out by somebody he hates? There's a different level of passion that goes in that fight. Team Alpha Male is so caught up with and emotionally invested in hating TJ Dillashaw that they forget how good TJ Dillashaw is. Now, if Cody wants to throw hands, that's fine. But what if TJ starts wrestling? Like, there's, there's forgotten aspects about TJ's game that I think he's a more dynamic fighter than Cody Garbrandt is. And on the second time around, I, I, I don't think that Cody's making the proper adjustments to beat TJ. I, I just, I, I don't necessarily see it. He's got heavy hands, yeah, but if he didn't knock him out in the first fight, I don't know if, if like, TJ, TJ barely got touched in the second round before he knocked out Cody because he figured him out. <laughs> that head kick came really early. <laughs> like, like he, but he set it up. He saw it, he saw it and he set it up. TJ does that extremely well. Every fight that you watch of TJ Dillashaw, watch how he changes as the fight goes along. He, he does a lot of feints. He, he tries to figure out what you're going to bite on, and then he takes advantage of so it. So you think, let's go to the Dominic Cruz fight. Cruz says he had a foot injury. That's why he slowed down. That's why TJ was able to take late rounds. Do you think that's the case, or do you think TJ was just figuring him out, took those TJ late rounds, and then a rematch TJ would have got? Yeah, I think... I think that the fight with Cruz was a perfect example of TJ figuring out Dominic Cruz and then timing him. Like TJ's got exceptional timing as well, and then made those rounds really close. Like when Dominic Cruz lost to Cody Garbrandt, Cody just had a, the perfect game plan against a slowing uh, Dominic Cruz. TJ kind of figured out where Dominic Cruz was going, and as you watch that fight, he started landing a lot more strikes in the, the fourth and fifth round. Yeah, he just he. Cruz missed- said it was the foot injury though. Yeah, blame the foot injury all you want, but your head's getting caught with the punches and kicks, buddy. So it's like, you whatever happens, nobody comes into a fight 100%. Everybody that loses complains about some shit. So I'm not going to say that Dominic wasn't hurt, but I'm going to say every fighter's hurt. So you can't really use it as an excuse. So I think in, like going into this rematch, I think Dillashaw seeing what Cody has to offer, Cody's going to be a little bit more emotionally incensed. And I think that was his undoing in the first fight. And when is the last time that TJ got knocked out? When he was a damn flyweight against John Dotson. Yeah. So it's going to take a lot to finish off TJ. I like TJ in this fight. I think he wins. By knockout or decision, I'm either one. Okay. It's not bad. So you're going with, and still I'm going with and new. It's going to be an yeah. exciting fight either way we go. Those should last two like, fights should be good. Yeah. It should be. You, think, you really think he's going to dominate? Like the adjustments were made. That's incredible. Well, I think Demetrius Johnson is going to dominate. I think TJ and Cody is going to be a fun fight regardless. I don't think there's any way that that fight is not fun. Both of those guys, they're just fun to watch. And I think they hate each other's guts, so it makes for a good fight. I just think TJ figures them out. It's like Dominic Cruz, I mean, not Dominic Cruz, Demetrius Johnson, on the other hand, I just think he's going to end up owning Cejudo. It might be fun for like five minutes if it goes that long, and then he just takes over. Yeah, yeah well, Mighty Mouse is one of the GOATs, so I can't knock that. Uh, let's talk boxing then. Boxing past weekend. Mikey Garcia took the win um, easier than I thought. I thought it was going to be a highly contested fight. One of his toughest fights of his career. I was wrong. 
he was dominant. So what next? That's what it comes to. What's next? We know what's next. Errol Spence. That fight is happening. It shouldn't happen. It really mm. shouldn't. Like, who's in this man's corner telling him to take that fight? Mikey Garcia. Like, okay, like, so here's... I, I understand Derrick be great, but you can fight a smaller guy like Lomachenko and Derrick be great and have a physical advantage over him. But that's not what Mikey wants to do. So, so here's the thing about Mikey Garcia. So I was in L.A. for the fight. I got a chance to spend some time with Mikey before his photo shoot with Showtime. Um, cool perk of the job. I get a lot of these guys without having to go to media days. So I met him at the hotel and we were just talking. And um, Mikey's in a position where he's tired of being the favorite in every fight. In order for him to be great, he wants to be an underdog. And he thinks that the only way he's going to be an underdog is to fight Errol Spence. Because Errol's bigger, stronger, considered the best, arguably end up going to end up being the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world, so he wants to fight him now. Fighting Lomachenko would involve Bob Arum, who he had the contract dispute with that kept him out of the ring for two and a half years. Um, and there are a lot of people, whether you believe it or not, to think Mikey Garcia would beat Vasily Lomachenko. Yeah, I mean, because we saw Lomachenko get dropped. We saw the trouble he had with a bigger fighter for a second until, you know, he was able to kind of solve that puzzle, but he was far from dominant in that fight. So you look at the situation, because the one person Mikey didn't say was Terrence Crawford, because but that, there's a whole top rank thing. Yeah. So Mikey's he's daring to be great. Listen, I think it's insane, too. I think, you know... I'd like, fight one, one time before I fought Errol Spence. Yeah, like, Errol Spence is a bona fide, you know, like, he's a bona fide welterweight who could fight as a junior middleweight. He's a big dude. Like, I talked to him after the fight. And he was—he had this big ass smile on his face, like I'm just gonna kill Mikey Garcia, like that was the look on his face. But he's big, like I was standing next to him, like he's big. I was with Mikey a couple days before that. Mikey's relatively small, you know. He's coming up from featherweight. But look, man, the only thing I can compare this to is everybody said the same shit about Manny Pacquiao against Oscar De La Hoya. Like if you go back to, if I can find the piece, Ring Magazine when we did our picks. I was one of the few people who predicted that Pacquiao would beat De La Hoya because everybody said Oscar was just too big for him. And Oscar was too big for him. But Manny brought a different set of skills to the ring that Mikey, I don't think, necessarily has. Manny was so wildly unpredictable and so fast and had a lot of power that, you know, the speed was just overwhelming for Oscar. Mikey's not terribly fast. He's just very, his boxing IQ is through the roof. Um, but a fight with Spence, I mean, look, man, if he wants to be great, and if he loses, I mean, who's going to really be like, oh, man, I can't fuck with Mikey Garcia anymore? It's, it's just a loss. And Mikey doesn't even care about the undefeated record. He just wants the toughest fights out there. So I get why he's doing it. I still think it's kind of crazy because I think Errol's just too big. But I get it, man. I, like, I get it. He, he doesn't want to waste time. I don't think he wants to fight that much longer. So he's like, just give me the best fights now. There's nobody at 135. There's nobody at 140. Fight a welterweight. <sighs> that... You're going not only up a division, but you're going from zero to a hundred real quick. Like you're you're going to the best of that division. Yeah, and we've seen crazier. I mean, listen, we we saw Kell Brook dare to be great and try to take on Triple G. We we've seen Amir Khan versus Canelo. We we've seen these these mismatches and and. Kell Brook was a good fighter, a good champion. Um, I didn't like his style, but shit, he was effective and good. And the weight and the skill 
he had nothing for him. He hasn't been the same after. And that's what's worrisome. Yeah, but Mikey Garcia is on a different level than a Kell Brook or an Amir Khan. Like, Mikey Garcia is legitimately considered one yeah, of the top five. Amir, I mean, Kell Brook's eye socket just gave out on him. Yeah, but he also fought a murderer. Like, like, <laughs> Golovkin, like Triple G wasn't just your average middleweight punching people in the face. Like, not to say that Errol Spence can't punch. I was about to say, wait, Errol Spence is the average punching welterweight? No, but I'm saying that the, 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 the gap between power and size for Triple G and Kel, like Kel Brook, you know, he's a good fighter, but it wasn't like, he wasn't pound for pound. Like, Mikey Garcia is, he's ranked higher than Errol Spence right now on the pound for pound list for good reason, because he's really fucking good. Yeah, and he's so, dominated his division, so on and so forth. He's, dom- he's dominated multiple. Like, he just beat up Adrian Broner. Like, that just happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was a year ago. Um, so he, he fights bigger guys, and he looks good doing it. He has exceptional time, and there's a lot of things that Mikey does really well. So fighting Errol, like, I don't – if he gets stopped, I don't think he's just going to – like, I, I joke and say he's going to get murdered. But, yeah, if he gets stopped, he just gets stopped. I don't think he, he gets, like, his eye socket broken. It doesn't hurt him to lose that fight, though. No, like, they're to be great. Get paid to be great. They, Richard Schaefer was told us that he's thinking about putting that on pay-per-view, which is kind of interesting. Does Schaefer represent Garcia now? No, Garcia's a free agent. Yeah, Al so, Hamas uh, is his advisor. So what was Schaefer doing there? Schaefer had... Ringstar was a part of the promotional company that put the fight together. Okay. So, basically, Mikey goes to whatever the situation he likes the best at that particular time, signs a one-off, and then he fights. So that fight was a Ringstar, PBC... Um, showtime deal. So, you know, then he'll go wherever he wants to next. Like, he can fight for Matchroom. He can fight for DeBella. Like, he can fight for anybody he wants. Everybody, any, Dre, tell, tell the company to cut the check, Dre. I mean, I can't let's, tell him shit. Let's, let's get the zone in on this. Let's get, listen, man, I'm just trying to have the access you have. I'm trying to I'm, piggyback off this. I'm sure there's, I'm, like, I'm, I'm 100% sure that Eddie Hearn has gone after Mikey Garcia and, and Errol Spence. Yeah, I'm sure he's gone after any free agent. Like, yeah. he's a smart guy. <laughs> he wants it. But Mikey's put himself in a really good position where he doesn't have to lock himself into any promoter. That's smart. It's the Kodo way of, of thinking and living. Look well, Kodo cashed out again with Rock Nation. Right That's the only thing you got to do. You just got to wait, wait, wait. Someone will get desperate for a star, and you'll cash out. Yeah, so it'll be all right. Either way. Yeah, so that's boxing. Top rank, speaking of them, signed a major deal with ESPN. Uh, I believe it was seven years on this contract, locking them yep. in. Looks like ESPN Plus is going nowhere. They're trying to be the home of combat sports. What do you think of the deal? And does this pretty much just wash any chance of pay-per-views for these top-ranked guys? No, it doesn't. But what it does do is it says that they're heavily invested in boxing, which is good news for everybody who likes combat sports. A seven-year deal is really big um, because, you know, Terrence Crawford fighting multiple times a year. Like, I, I still think... Like, if Crawford were to fight Pacquiao, that might be a pay-per-view. I doubt the fight even happens. But they might go that route to an ESPN pay-per-view. They have that option. Um, But, I mean, it's good overall because a seven-year investment with guys like, you know, Terrence Crawford and Lomachenko and, um, you know, like tomorrow morning, which will be Friday morning. So by the time a lot of people listen to this, they won't even have seen it. Billy Dib fights Tevin Farmer and ESPN Plus picked that up. So it's like it's good the top rank has entered a deal with ESPN to make sure that boxing is still being seen. Like there's never there's never anything wrong with too much boxing if, unless you don't know about it. Like that was PBC's problem because after a while I was like, what the fuck channel is PBC on this week? Bounce TV, who has that? Nobody. But 
ESPN, major network, investing in boxing. I'm here for it. You know, Jose Ramirez, there's a lot of guys on top rank who can use the visibility without having to be on pay-per-view. Yeah, that, that's... I guess, right? Like, to me, when they're throwing the money at you anyway, it's hard to justify putting guys on pay-per-view. Like, putting your biggest star on pay-per-view and not here. Unless well, you want your cake and eat it too. I mean, pay-per-view is basic. Okay, so what happens... The only way... You, the business of pay-per-view is you have two fighters who want a lot, a lot of money. You have to be able to justify a lot of money. So you'll have a network bid on the pay-per-view, um, which is usually the promoter of the fighter anyway. So in the case of like a Manny Pacquiao and Terrence Crawford situation, you got two guys that are going to want a lot of money. So that fight will probably go to pay-per-view because the money that they're getting from the network isn't going to be enough to pay the fighters. But if you put it on pay-per-view, then you can offset that cost with pay-per-view buys. And the you know the promoter of the pay per view and et cetera et cetera, so there's reason for it still. But I think ultimately the goal is to make these guys visible enough so when it's time for a pay per view you can actually pull one off. Like Terrence Crawford will be on pay per view again, but the goal is to have him fight three or four times a year so then people are more familiar. It does nobody any favors when you only see Terrence Crawford fight like once or twice a year because you forget about him. But you keep him busy, put him in a situation like. You know, same with Lomachenko. You put these guys in a situation where they're in for a big fight against a major name, like if Lomachenko were to fight Pacquiao, that's a pay-per-view fight. That won't be on ESPN Plus because they know they can sell it. No, that's true. So just visibility and the ability to fight more often. Yeah, visibility, more dates, and, you know, having the backing of a network who is now heavily invested in combat sports with their UFC deal it's good for all parties. It's, it's, it's an investment. It means that boxing is not dying, man. Like, people keep saying that shit. Boxing's not dying. We got to fight goddamn every week it feels like. Oh, yeah. No, it's on the upward swing, if anything. Exactly. And we'll talk about one of the major reasons why is because it feels like the heavyweight division is back. We have Deontay Wilder talking about fighting uh, Tyson Fury. We have a, a looming fight against Anthony Joshua out there. Joshua's going to have his own test. Povetkin. Is this is the deepest heavyweight division since when? If I had to ask you, if you had to put a year on. Man, I mean, this is the best, the, the most healthy the heavyweight division has been since probably the mid nineties. Um, wow, before both Klitschko's dominated, so well, yeah. both, better than Klitschko, Klitschko, Lewis. Yeah, I mean, because Lewis and Klitschko is literally a passing of the guard, right? Like when when Lennox Lewis fought um, um, Vitali Klitschko and. Vitaly damn near beat him, except for that cut open eye, which I'll never forget, which is disgusting. But it was the passing of the guard, and there was really nobody else there. Um, but if you look back in the 90s, where the mid-90s, where you had Riddick Bowe, Evander Holyfield, which is crazy. And I'd, I'd love to do a documentary on Riddick Bowe one day, because he only lost one fight in his entire fucking career. It was against Evander Holyfield. Really? And he only lost one fight. Oh, shit. I like, Riddick, Riddick Bowe is one of the best heavyweights of all time, and nobody ever talks about him. But at any rate... Um, but there were a lot of people, you know, when, when Lennox was coming up, you know, he got knocked out by Oliver McCall. I mean, you had like Tyson was still lingering at the time. So the nineties was great. The two thousands, it was like Klitschko got knocked out by Lehman Brewster. Um, there was Chris Burr, but he was mad small. I could be a Butte who washed out because he went to jail. Um, and there wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't anybody else really in the two thousands. Now you got, you got Parker, Joshua, Klitsch, no, I'm not, not Klitschko, Fury, Wilder, um, you got Miller sitting on the outside, you got Ortiz, Pavet I mean, dude, the heavyweight division is loaded. Dillian White, 
uh, Derek Chisora. There are so many names. Not all of them are on the elite level, but they all present um, credible threats. Like the Fury-Joshua uh, Wilder triangle is an exceptional triangle. Luis Ortiz just barely on the outside of that, of that triangle. Because Luis Ortiz gave Wilder hell, which is a fight I'd love to see again. Yep. But this is the best the heavyweight division has been in a long time. And it's it's fun. Like, it's fun. We got a lot of big fights coming up. Um, you know, obviously Joshua versus Povetkin. But if Wilder and Fury happens, which I think is, personally, I think it's a bad idea for Tyson Fury to fight Wilder now. I think it's a terrible idea. Uh, um, you think it's better for him to wait out for a possible UK matchup with Anthony Joshua? No, I think it's better if Tyson Fury gets another fight. Like, he oh, fought. to just, yeah, knock the rust off. Yeah, I mean, look, man, he fought, he hadn't fought in two and a half years. He fought, I forgot the dude's name, but it was a terrible fight. If anybody saw it, it was like three rounds of Tyson Fury, like showboating. He had 66 pounds on the dude. Hit him with like four shots in the fourth round. The dude quit. That doesn't prepare your conditioning for a big fight. He fights again on the undercard of uh, Carl Frampton um, in Belfast, I believe, in like two weeks. And he's fighting another guy who got washed out by Klitschko. So he's probably going to blow that fight out. So, but then you st- you immediately step up and fight Deontay Wilder next. I don't know, man. Like that's like two and a half years off because not because you were unhel- like you were injured. Two and a half years off because you were fat and snorting cocaine. You got to get your condition. <laughs> he looks great for having that drug problem, though. No, he was fat as hell. But yeah, he, he, he does he looks, look a he lot. Ba- yeah, he bounced back. He looks in better shape now than even the Klitschko fight. He looks great, but twelve rounds of conditioning is going to be questionable. Can he go 12 rounds? Because I don't think he's getting Wilder out of there anytime soon. No, Wilder took some some thumps from Ortiz. Yeah, so, I mean, then, you know, they're talking about this fight happening in Vegas. I contacted Shelly Finkel today. I've been waiting to hear back who's uh, uh, Deontay Wilder's manager because Tyson Fury's pretty much said the fight's done. Frank Warren's been on. He's saying the fight's done as well. Um, PBC hasn't said anything, so we're still waiting to get official word. But it seems like this fight's happening in Vegas in December. I'm with it. And that makes our December uh, quite nice, depending on what happens. We're recording this podcast Thursday night. Well, it happens on Friday during the day with, and we glanced over it, but possibly the return and the announcement of Conor McGregor returning to the Octagon. Yeah, if they struck a deal, I mean, yeah, it's either happening in October or December, uh, one of the two. I wouldn't be surprised if it's October either. Really? Um, That seems like quick, though. It seems pretty quick. It's still like two and a half months away, and Conor's been training. And if, uh, you know, UFC ponied up the cash, why wouldn't he fight? Like, all, like the only thing I've ever said is about the money. You just got to pay Conor enough money. That's it. Yeah. And Conor's and, crazy enough. Listen, if and this Khabib fight's not going to be easy, but Lord knows he knocks out Khabib in the first. He'll fight in December, too. He's all about the money. Yeah, well, I think, personally, if Conor fights again and he knocks out Khabib, probably disappears again. Because you get paid a lot of money, then it's like, well, what's the rush? Well, I think he goes for the third title. I think he demands history. Yeah, well, I'm just is the UFC going to just keep ponying up twenty five million dollars? I guess we'll yeah, see. Yeah, like, yeah, like every two months if they want him. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, if he does two point five, two point two million pay per view buys, yeah, you pony it up. Because why not? He just eclipsed the entire, like every card put together since he left. If he does two million pay per view buys. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's worth it, I'm sure, in that regard. Um, let's talk pro wrestling. <clears throat> I feel like it's taken us a quick second to get around to it. But I know you're catching up. You were busy. You were traveling in L.A., you know, not paying attention. 
to the pro wrestling world as much. But you caught up on the main part, which is New Japan Pro Wrestling, G1, Climax, Ishii versus Abushi. That match got a 4.75, and I feel like it was robbed. Yeah, I disagree with Meltzer 100%. Look, the G1 Climax, as usual, has been great. Um, B Block has been exceptional. A Block, A Block's more about these certain stories that they're trying to tell. Um, the B Block's just about these incredible wrestling matches. Um, and, and it's still so weird. Like, I don't like, I don't really like any of the people that are setting up to win the A Block. As weird um, as it sounds. Like, I, I don't like who's leading in points. Um, I don't like who I think might come through and swoop the lead. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, look, the, the, the main story about the A block, before we talk about Ishii and uh, Ibushi, is Okada's, you know, uh, uh, identity crisis. You know, he's become this different Okada who supposedly just doesn't care as much. He's yeah. a little bit more carefree with the balloons and shit. The red hair Okada. Yeah, he lost his first two matches. And, you know, he's, he's probably he's still going to probably take the block. He's going to turn a corner at some point. Um, he's been winning the Michael Elgin. I just watched the Michael Elgin match, like, literally before we started this. Um, but that's the, between that, Jay White, like, they're setting up something. Because remember, Jay White's in chaos with Okada, too. Yeah. So Jay, Jay White being unable to win a match at all without cheating is, is pretty interesting um, storytelling that I'm sure is going to pay off at some point. Uh, Minoru Suzuki hasn't had the best tournament. I mean, he's been losing a few matches, but he's always hanging around. Um, and then you got, you know, Bad Luck Fale, obviously. Tanahashi. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't necessarily see Tanahashi making to the finals. I think this is pretty much going to be Okada. I don't think he holds on. Who, Okada? No, Tanahashi. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think he does either. You never go, um, like, front to back. Like, you never just run the tape. I mean, it looks like Kenny Omega's on the verge of doing that shit. But oh, he, it he does. Went. It does. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's, I get it. They're telling stories. But, yeah, the, the B block is, is it's terribly one-sided. The B block is where all the action, all the great matches are at. The A block is really about telling these certain stories. Yeah, it seems like. And the last night could be interesting because it's shaping up that I think we have Okada versus uh, who? Jay White? The last night, probably? Mm, then, I don't remember who's going to be. I'll look it up, but and then it looks like we could have Obushi versus Kenny on the final night. Well, uh, no, that's not it. The uh, the final night for for each guy, I'm pulling it up right now. Well, anyway, while I it's, pull that up, it's coming down to the stretch. But Ishii versus Obushi, man, one the stiff chops and, and just that sequence of them beating the hell out of each other was amazing. Um, Ishii, my MVP of the tournament, we'll get to that. Man, he's just been showing out in every match. And somehow his style versus Abushi, and Abushi still using some of the high-flying stuff going into the crowd. Um, man, it, it just works so well. And it's surprising to me. Like Ishii last year versus Zack Sabre Jr., it's like these styles are just so different. How can it work? And it worked perfectly. And Look, I feel like I, that was his match this year. I've been singing the praises of Tomohiro Ishii for years. Like, He's you marked out for him at uh, ROH when we went, and he yeah. was there. You marked out crazy. Like I'm, I'm just like Ishii. Bring he has the best comeback, babyface comeback in pro wrestling. Like when he starts just eating shit, and then he's like, just bring it. It's like the best shit ever. <laughs> On top of that, he's a phenomenal wrestler. <laughs> so like you look at G1, he shows out at every G1. The one year he beat Okada 
was the last year or the year before. It might have been the year before. And, they, and because Ishii recognized that Okada, like, the, the, look, Gato's booking is phenomenal. But Ishii recognized that Okada starts off very slow and then ramps up. And the Ishii just brought it to the, like, he just beat the shit out of him for the first five to ten minutes. Like, he's just extremely fun to watch. And it works with any style. And the Ibushi match, because obviously Ibushi is another MVP of this tournament because he has had a bad match. His match with Sonata was phenomenal. But it's like, dude, like, I don't know what more you want out of a guy like Ishii. Like, he, he will never be the heavyweight champion, but he's always going to give you, like, the best matches on the card. Where does he go? Like, what is his ceiling? Because someone well, the other day was like, you know what? He deserves an IC title run. And I was like, I can't be mad at that. But is that it? Like... Is that all he deserves? I mean, look, there's only been four champions in the last seven years, heavyweight champions, I believe. Tanahashi, Okada, Naito, and now Kenny Omega. Nobody else has had that title. At That's all. That's nuts, yeah. Like, they don't play, like, they don't, they, there's no hot potato of the title here. It's like the top guys get it. So ECE ceiling right now could be the IC title, but it, it'll probably be the never open weight title. He'll probably find a way to get that title back. Um, because it just seems fitting because never the never open weight title has become like the more hard hitting of all the titles. I was about to say it's like their equivalent of the hardcore title. Yeah, to a certain degree. And like an Ishii Suzuki match, those two guys just murdering each other is something that I I never will not want to see. So that just seems like the place for him right now. But it's weird, man. Like WWE can't figure out guys like that. Guys who just routinely have great matches. People love them. You don't necessarily have to strap the rocket to their back, but you know when they wrestle, it's like kind of like Seth Rollins. Like, you know when he wrestles, or Dolph Ziggler, which they just kind of dropped the ball on for like a couple of years, they're going to give you great matches. Yeah. And he's just that guy. He always will give you a great match. Um, real quick, the final night. I just pulled it up, too. This is insane. Yeah, like Tanahashi and Okada, that's going to determine the A block. Let's just call it what it is. Um, Jay White will probably be in the running. He'll probably lose the evil. Um, the B block, the fact that we have Naito versus Sabre and Omega versus Ibushi, yeah, there's a lot of things that are going to get figured out in that B block. Um, and I, I'm still sticking with my Naito prediction. Naito versus Okada in the final. But it's going to be hell to get there. That's nuts. Yeah, because Obushi would have to beat Kenny Omega, I believe, and Naito would have to beat Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah. If it all plays out accordingly. And that's crazy because Obushi would cost Kenny Omega the tournament. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. Like, Obushi could be the guy to knock off Kenny Omega and ruin his chances of winning the tournament. There's, there's just so many scenarios. But, again, this is long-form booking, man. Like, Gato knows what he's doing. There's I wonder people... how long it takes Gato to sit down and just be like, yo, let me let me write out this entire tournament. Dude, it's like an investment. Like, when you watch New Japan, you know, like, Naito lost at Wrestle Kingdom, and our immediate, like, your immediate knee-jerk reaction was like, oh, man, that sucks. He should have won it now. But it makes it so much sweeter when he finally does win it and the path that Naito is going to take because he's going to get the title. It's happening. I don't know when. could be at Wrestle Kingdom, but it's happening. But the point is, is like that journey, like Okada's journey to beat Tanahashi took multiple G1s at Wrestle Kingdoms before he was a certified ace of the company. Like, they, it's like Gato just knows what he's doing. I can't say that about Vince. It's so haphazard in the WWE. You just never know what the hell's going on. Oh, great transition. Long-term booking. It makes it sweeter when he gets it. I hope you keep the same energy in two weeks when Roman Reigns steps in there and beats Brock Lesnar clean. See, this is disgusting booking, though. Like, this is, like, 
the one thing that Gato does that Vince does not is listen to the fans. Naito's over because the fans attach themselves to him. Los Incogrenables de Japón sells more merch overseas than Bullet Club. That tells you a lot. Naito is super over. Yeah, super over. And someone almost crushed me on Twitter earlier because I said, I can't wait until he's in NXT. He wins the title and he's just kicking it and throwing it around the entire arena. They're like, he's not going to NXT, blah, blah. Like, oh, God, I didn't mean to incite a riot. No, like, because people don't want to see it. Because I know, no, people don't, because the impending doom of the main roster. Yeah, the impending doom of the main roster is now the overcrowding of NXT, which NXT still been great television, but it's just a lot. Um, but Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar again, and there's no real justifiable reason why this is happening again, because it completely puts, like, since we're talking about WWE now, the fact that Bobby Lashley beat Roman Reigns at a pay-per-view meant absolutely nothing. It had no bearing on anything. <laughs> at all. Oh, man. It's like it never happened. Right. And so so the next night they say, okay, we're going to do this four-man tournament to see who's the number one contender. And then Roman Reigns beat Bobby Lashley on television. And now he's the number one contender. So you mean to tell me that match meant absolutely nothing? That's exactly what they're telling you. They gave Bobby Lashley a bone. And now they're just like, well, going to go back to the original plan. It's like, but and nobody's just really invested in that. Now, the only thing is we're so apathetic towards Brock Lesnar being the champion that we just want somebody to take it off of him. And that somebody might be Roman Reigns. That's it. We just want to see it every week. The problem is nobody really wants Roman Reigns to be the champion. They just want Brock Lesnar to not be the champion. So don't expect Roman Reigns all of a sudden to start getting cheered when he becomes a champ. And there's there's this cruel side that I think, what if Roman Reigns loses again? It's possible. Um, It is possible. I wouldn't see the, I don't necessarily see the logic in it unless this whole Paul Heyman thing is like a big ruse to set Roman Reigns up for failure. But uh, if Roman Reigns loses again, I've said this like three times, you have to give up on Roman Reigns as a world as other one. Like you have to, after SummerSlam, send him to SmackDown, which I wouldn't want to see. But you have to get him out of this title picture. You have to. Uh, no, like it's time for Roman, man. And I'm not a fan of Roman. I'm tired of shit and the boot. It's time for him to win the belt and be the guy. If he's going to be the guy, let him be the guy. He has won the belt. That's my problem. No, but he won it. Like, he, this shit didn't even feel right. He didn't beat Brock for the belt. The same storyline. Like, he's never been able to go over on Brock. It was like, okay, Seth Rollins bailed him out, and then he was able to get it from Seth, blah, blah, blah. No. Like, let him do the deed. Let him beat Brock clean. Brock hasn't been pinned clean. And I don't count the fiasco with Goldberg. But in a, like a real-ass match, he hasn't lost anyone since Eddie Guerrero in like 2004. Yeah. Let him put someone up. Roman has to beat him clean. He can be cashed in on the night, the next night at Rumble, at Survivor Series, at WrestleMania. I don't care when Braun cashes in. I don't care if Kevin Owens gets the briefcase and teases this shit. I don't care. Whatever happens, you can't pull the switcheroo and you can't have someone bail him out. During this program, I don't even want to see Paul Heyman cost Brock Lesnar the match and Roman Reigns win that way. I want to see it clean as a whistle. But why? Not because, because like, you've tortured like Vince Reigns. has tortured us for four years with this BS. Finish it. Do it right. You've done everything else wrong. You've done all the other shenanigans. You know what? One thing we like about NXT, New Japan, ROH when it's rocking is we have definitive clean winners. 
whether we like it or we don't. It's not low blows. It's not count outs. It's not interference. There's no James Ellsworth pulling, you know, an Oscar dress up move. No, give us a good match with a clean finish and we'll eat it and move on to the next one. That's what we need. No more shenanigans. No more bailing them out. So you know what this is like? Here, here's an analogy for you. This is like you haven't had sex in like three years. And this, this ugly girl who you think is ugly keeps hanging around and hanging around and hanging around All right. and hanging around. And then you're like, fuck it. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Now when it's done, you finally did it. But you're not going to feel great about it afterwards. <laughs> there, there's like a doubt. Listen, that's horrible because every guy knows this feeling. But she did it. Yeah, but like, not, but, but you like, did it. Is, like it's like you feel like why did I just do that? It was a waste of time. Short, it's such a short-lived thing because it's like, all right, he did it. Now what? But you know, you had to do it. But the like con- that—that's what it comes but, down to, though, right? But, like but he, the you had to smash. But the consequence is now she's going to keep hanging around and hanging around and hanging around. She's not going anywhere. Roman Reigns becoming the champ is almost insufferable because who's his first feud? Bobby Lashley. He clearly has to even it up against Lashley. Is that what you want to see? It's not about what I want to see. That's the problem. Wrestling should be about somewhat what you want to see. At this point, I've given up that. On the main roster, on Raw, SmackDown kind of seems like it's coming along. Like I really want to see Joe versus Styles, and I don't think that's going to have a shenanigans ending. It better not, dog. It better not. But the point is, is that we've become so apathetic to the product. We're just like, just please. Like, nobody's worse than Roman Reigns until Brock Lesnar has done what he's done. Now it's like, please get the title on. I don't care who does it. Listen, sometimes you just got to smash the ugly girl so you can move on and smash the next ugly girl. And that's what this is. Like, you're not going to smash the ugly girl, get her off your back, and then go on and smash a cute chick. No, you know another ugly girl is waiting for you. But at least it's a different ugly girl. And sometimes strange is good. That's what it is in this case. Yeah, whatever. Let's move on. I, I, Vince needs to get some strange in the booking sense. The, let's, let's move on because, like, Raw sucks. Like, let's Raw does be- suck. SmackDown is the highlight of our recap right now. And we actually have good feuds. Charlotte came back from injury. Um, Carmella damn near got her injured again. Carmella's horrible in ring. They need to take the belt off her. Like, it made no sense to make her Mrs. Money in the Bank, and then you let her cash in. Then you let her go over clean on Asuka. She's not even on the feud anymore. So you know what? It's over. You don't have to throw her bone all the time. You, you did right by her. It's all good. Now it's like, time to give the belt back to someone who actually matters, a real wrestler. So like, so my whole problem with this is, and then we can move on because like, we got to wrap this up. Yeah. But um, Becky Lynch should get to fight you know, Carmella one-on-one and be the champ. Like... I don't really want Charlotte in this match. I think Becky, but this, again, this is the problem with having too many people on your roster because you have to cram them all into matches. But um, Becky has been grinding for like the last two years. She has good matches. They're not always great, but she's, she's always there. And if Carmella's already beaten Oscar and Charlotte clean, Charlotte was beaten clean. Why is she involved in this match? Same reason like, Roman Reigns has the title match, my man. It, it's dumb, man. It, it's 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 just really terrible. Like Becky should get a one on one with Carmella and beat her. Yeah, like we, that's, but that's they don't want really Charlotte to be left off of a SummerSlam. Yeah, and, and that's ridiculous. It's just dumb. Like I'd rather see Charlotte and Oscar have a rematch 
one on one. Number one contenders or something. Yeah. Yeah. But like give Becky her opportunity to shine because if Becky beats if Becky wins and she beats Carmella, it's gonna have some like not shenanigans, but it's not the same. It's like no. Becky should get her time to hoist up that title. I just it's really the booking in WWE is just really haphazard. It's yeah. really silly. It's like they like there is no for forward thinking, I guess, with the booking. It's like, okay, we did this and it's reactionary. Okay, now we gotta do this. Oh my god, Charlie's back. Oh well, we wanted her on SummerSlam. She can't be off of it. Okay, throw her into this. It's like they book it the night before. Yeah, it's so. just all—it's all bad. I mean, the only really, really good thing to come out of SmackDown is obviously Samoa Joe. Like the man's been cu- cutting gold promos. That's not the only good thing. Samoa what Joe, really Mark. Good? We get Miz versus Daniel Bryan. Yeah, we do. Okay, and right. that's yeah. really good. Even though it, it seems a little bit rushed, but even then, they're pulling all the history back so fast that it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right. The Daniel Bryan Miz feud is, has been good. I don't know if it'll be as good in the ring. Because I think AJ and, and Samoa Joe can uh, say the same thing about Nakamura and AJ, and we saw what we got. But, <laughs> no, but they gave him low blows and tried to turn him. You don't got to turn, turn Joe heel. Joe is Joe. No, Joe is Joe, Joe. Like, this should be, like, that should be the match of the year for WWE, which has really not had a ton of great matches. Um, but Joe versus AJ should be great. Um, I don't know if Daniel Bryan and Miz is going to be great. I think it'll be really good, though. I think that to put a cap on that feud will be really good. Yeah, and um, I think Miz takes a lot of Daniel Bryan's, you know, moves during that match. I think you get a lot of the callbacks to the feud. Um, I don't necessarily need like Brie Bella coming out to jump on Maurice. Like I don't, I don't need that guest spot, which I feel like we're gonna get. Yeah, we might. Well, you know, honestly, I think Miz is gonna beat him. Oh, and just carry on the feud. Mm-hmm. I'm not mad at that. I think Daniel Bryan winning just immediately shuts down that feud. But if yeah. Miz, I mean, even if Miz wins by shenanigans, you, you you make that feud a little bit longer because there's a great payoff there. And it's something for Daniel Bryan to do because if the plan here is to inevitably get him back into the title picture around WrestleMania, you can have him feud with the Miz for a good three months as long as you don't run out of material. Yeah. I, they're not going to run out of material. Like these two, they, they got plenty of pull from. And if the Miz wins, it's going to be unbearable for Daniel Bryan. Yeah. So no, I, I like that idea. Yeah. Um, and then that's pretty much it, man. Ciampa is the new NXT champion. I mean, th- dude, Ciampa being the champ is the best thing right now. You love that? <laughs> I like, felt like you would like that move. I, man, I look, think it I still crushes Aleister Black, but I think Aleister Black wins it back at TakeOver. Um, ending the Gargano Ciampa feud, he looks good. He finally main events. He's going to get the big entrance, I think. Uh, it's time he needed to main event something. And prove that he's a main event player and he will get his belt back, I think. I, I, dude, I think Aleister Black was an okay champion. But I think a he, when a heel carries the title and carries it well, there's no better feeling because you have a great story with somebody chasing. And Ciampa winning the title, he's like, dude, he's so good. He's so this good is all as by, a heel. This is all by accident. If Ciampa never got injured, we'd never be here. <laughs> we would never be here. There was no long-term plan to put the title on Ciampa. That, no. that, that never even crossed their mind. But better lucky than good. Dude, yeah. Better lucky than good because Ciampa being champion is fantastic. He has no hope... entrance music. Just a no. chorus of boos. And, and, and be clear, it won't work on the main roster. Like Ciampa coming out with no music on the main roster will never work. But at NXT... Because everybody's so passionate about the product, it works. And it's brilliant. And him being a champion, beating Aleister Black on, a, on television is fantastic. NXT 205 Live, killing it. Main roster, kiss my ass. 
Yeah, I mean, SmackDown's okay. The, the Raw, Raw is really just shitty. It ruins it for SmackDown. Um, that's pretty much our show, man. You missed the past couple of weeks, but came back with a fury. Did an hour and 40 minutes. The people get the quality this week. Make sure you guys follow us on social media for more hot takes this weekend. You know, there's UFC. I'm sure there's some boxing Dre's covering. Uh, we'll talk New Japan on Twitter. Uh, social angst. Everything going down. So follow me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale, the show at the corner LSN on all platforms, bringing you more fire every week, even though Dre got six jobs now, he's cutting it down, more time for the podcast, and I have a couple myself. Thank you guys for listening. Until next week, we're out. Peace.